This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 322, and we are recording on March 15th. This is our first post-daylight savings Mm. time change recording, so buckle up. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot, and I don't know what time it is. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Time has no meaning. (laughs) I mean, it's true that time has no meaning, but my body thinks it's important. Mm. So I've had an interesting, this is the first year where daylight savings time has meant that my children get up after me, which has never happened in my life. But like, I get up at six or whatever, and the kids are sleeping until like seven because of daylight savings time. Mm. And so I just kind of don't know what to do the dog is also very confused like he's wandering around the house like he'll sit at the foot of the stairs like where the fuck i'm usually playing right now like there's ball there's like tug where are my people he just wanders around looking very sad (laughs) right oh sorry did i have (laughs) it's fine yeah um so that's what's happening now i'm sitting on my couch not knowing what to do with my hand eyes because yeah my children are sleeping that's funny. That's funny. I think I have a lot of friends with toddlers who are having the reverse yeah. situation yeah, right now. I mean, it, so. they're almost 11, so it took a decade right. before this right. was the worst day of my life. <laughs> I was just going to say our condolences to everyone with a child yeah. who is dealing with and with cats who demand food at ungodly hours. Oh. Our condolences to everyone. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Here we go. <laughs> so how does this show work when we're not ranting about time change? I will tell you, it is, in fact, a show for personalized reading recommendations, you can send in your reading request. It can be maybe you have a certain kind of book you love, you're having trouble finding. Maybe you need a recommendation for a friend or relative or for your book club or for travel or for vacation or for hiding from the world or whatever. And you can send those in either via email, getbooked at bookriot.com. Or there's a form in the show notes over on the Book Riot site. For every episode, you can drop your request in there. If it is a time-sensitive request you're hoping to hear back by a certain date, please put all caps, time-sensitive, and then the date you're hoping to hear back by, either in the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form. Uh, We don't get to all of them, but we get to as many as we can. That's my story. (laughs) All right. Let's see. Let's do some feedback from another Amanda. (laughs) who has two recommendations for Ray who wanted books in the Caribbean, the novels Float Plan by Trish Dollar and Next Year in Havana by Chanel Cleeton. Float Plan is considered a contemporary mo- romance, but it's more about the main character's journey, living on a sailboat and sailing around the various islands while working through some personal grief, strong sense of place on the sailboat and Caribbean islands and camaraderie around the sailboat community. Next Year in Havana takes place in Cuba and Miami. It's told in dual timelines based on the author's family stories and conveys a strong sense of place for life in Cuba in both eras. Interesting. Okay, and from Alice, for the listener who just wants to party with mm. an Ocean Eleven feel, I recommend Ellie Casimano's Finlay Donovan is Killing It and the sequel Finlay Donovan Knocks Him Dead, 
where a divorced mother who writes suspense romance accidentally becomes a hit woman. What? It made me laugh so hard and loud on an airplane, people literally turned to stare at me. I also recommend anything from Jonas Jonasson. He is most known for the 100-year-old man who jumped out the window disappeared, which is indeed hilarious. But if you want the crime vibe, maybe grab Hitman Anders and the meaning of it all or Sweet Sweet Revenge LTD. What titles those are. I have been hearing, I've been hearing about Finley Donovan and nobody had actually told me what they were before and now I definitely have to read them. Yeah, as a divorced mother who is also a hitman. No, I'm just kidding. Um, right, I was just going to say, Amanda, it's your story. Who told them? <laughs> who do I need to sue? <laughs> All right, well, Amanda's going to read our first question and then we will recommend some books. All right, question one is from Sue, who says, I just had a sweet small book club meeting with my 10-year-old niece and my sister. We discussed Trevor Noah's Born a Crime. They read the kids' version together, and I read the adult version. It was so fun to do with my niece. We're now looking for another book and want to expand our club to the rest of our family, including my 80-year-old parents. So the club will include a 10-year-old who prefers fiction. She just told me her favorite series is Small Spaces by Catherine Arden. I gave her the lotteries a while back, and she liked that. She liked Born a Crime, so I know she can get into memoirs. I think the humor in the face of horrible situations was one thing she appreciated about the book. Um, I love sci-fi fantasy, anything with time travel. My parents also prefer fiction. My mom loved A Gentleman in Moscow. Um, Let's see. My other niece is in college, so doesn't have a lot of time for fun reading. So something on the shorter side would be best. Okay, any suggestion for a family-friendly book club would be much appreciated, i.e. no sex, no swearing. COVID willing, we'll be all be getting together mid-June for discussion. Okay, let's hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Diana Dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall, gorgeous hockey player Shane's shenanigans. Because you know what? If they shenan once, they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building. But turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, rules are meant to be broken? Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. 
Alrighty, family book club. This is mm. tough. This one's tough. Mm-hmm. It's hard to find a book that like that a ten year old and an eighty year old yeah. will appreciate. Actually, I think the college student part is the hardest yeah. part about that. That's the hardest part. So anyway, I picked the Birchbark House by Louise Erdrich, which is a children's book. It's like middle grade, so the ten year old will have no problem with it. But I picked this because it has big Little House on the Prairie vibes, and so that is a thing that I think the older folks, especially your parents who are in their eighties, will connect to the kind of like nostalgic sort of sepia tone of of the book and then you can there's a lot to talk about there because you can discuss the ways in which it is not little house on the prairie of which there are many first of all louise erdrick is an indigenous writer and this is a book about uh, an indigenous character so it's about a little girl named omakayas she is seven and she is found on an island in lake superior called madeline island she's the only survivor of a smallpox outbreak that kills her family and like everybody in her village so she's found by a woman named tallow and taken into another ojibwa family and is raised there and the book follows the family through her point of view through a cycle of all four seasons in 1847 when smallpox comes back and takes over the island and this is a, a real thing that happened so it's a historically documented documented event. Louise Erdrich did a lot of research about it. She talked to a lot of members, a lot of elders from the Ojibwa tribe about the um, the history of Madeline Island, people who still live there. She read letters from people who had traveled there and like went with her by, with her, her, her own family to the island and spent some time there, especially so she could like watch her little kids interact with the natural environment of the uh, of the island and then like kind of use that to model the character. So it's got that kind of like you know, a family surviving with their wits and whatever they can hunt or catch or whatever uh, kind of thing that Little House on the Prairie has. So there's a lot of that to talk about. But of course, it's lacking like the racism and the colonialism, which is always a nice bonus. And if you've got, (laughs) you know, a 10 year old, I'm thinking about my kids who are 10 and the kind of stuff that they're starting to learn about in like history class, like Christopher Columbus and all of that kind of stuff. Like their school is pretty good about putting that all in the correct context, like their correct historical context. But a lot of schools aren't. And so there might be something there that you can use to talk about with the little kids about, you know, what they're learning in school. And maybe even the college student, because maybe she didn't get like what actually what the experience of like Little House in the Prairie actually was for a lot of the people who already lived there when the Ingalls family showed up. So that is the Birchbark House by Louise Erdrich. Yeah, this was tricky, and I agree. It's it's. I feel like it's less hard to do the extreme ends and more hard to shoot for the middle that's mm-hmm. going to work for the littles. Uh, so I picked Tide Song by Wendy Shue, which is a graphic novel, so extremely readable for your college student and the 10-year-old. And I, it is a family story that has three generations, well, a bunch of relatives in it. There's Sophie, who is the young witch who is the center of our story, and her mother and grandmother are very excited about her attending the best magic school in the realm, Mm -hmm. even though she's like not that great at magic sometimes. And there are exams, so they send her to go live with her great aunt and her cousin to train for the exams. And that like also does not go great. Uh, Sophie ends up befriending a water dragon and, you know, it is very much like a story of like figuring out how to be you and like how do you navigate family pressure and school pressure and, you know, things that are going to be accessible to the 10-year-old but also I think relatable for everyone. And I thought the fun part of this discussion would be like 
visiting like obviously you're seeing this through Sophie's perspective but there's several generations represented in this book so and you're there are several generations in your family so like y'all could talk about like you know were mom and grandma right were they wrong like what would you have done in their place like you could do some you know generational discussions around that stuff could be fun and it like I said it'll be easy and quick for everybody to read you can talk about the art like it'll be a fun experience I think for everyone it's definitely more low-key than born a crime but I love Wendy Shue's work and I thought this would be an awesome option so again that's Tide Song by Wendy Shue all right, our next question is from D. Oh, who sent us cat pictures? Side note, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much, D. They were appreciated. We will accept any and all pet pictures. Uh, okay, so D says, My partner and I have been trying to live more sustainably for a while now, but one thing I've never been able to do is grow my own food. I'm looking for a good intro book for someone interested in growing or at least starting to grow their own food with limited resources. I don't have a garden. And some tips on which plants are best grown where, at Etc. How to keep on top of the planting, watering, fertilizing, harvesting cycles. I have zero experience, so something very basic and good for beginners would be best. I'm thinking of starting small, like maybe replanting green onions and lettuces or growing cherry tomatoes. I'd appreciate any help you can offer. I'm just going to keep going. This is ah, a request near and dear to my heart. And I'm going to give you my favorite basic, like, good comprehensive reference, which is the all-new Square Foot Gardening. The third edition is the one you want. It's the most recent one by Mel Bartholomew and the Square Foot Gardening Foundation. Literally all you need to grow some stuff is a square foot of dirt. Like, that's it. That's all you need. So if you are in an apartment situation or you have, like, very limited outside space that does not include, like, you can plant things in the ground, which side note, if you're in an urban area, you might not want to do anyway, mm. because there are chemicals in your ground that you do not want in your food. So just FYI, put it in a pot, <laughs> get a pot that's a square foot or build one that that there are literally instructions in this book for how to build your own containers if you so desire. And this is great because there's beautiful pictures that it walks you step by step through like, OK, where do you get seeds? What can you replant? Do you need to put things inside or can they be outside? Like, how often do you have to water? What grows when? All of these things are in here. The one caveat I always have with this book is they make a big deal about using what they call Mel's mix, which is like this very specific soil mix composition that's supposed to like help you have to do less weeding and like water differently and like okay fine like Ugh. if you really want to go and like do the mills mix thing I don't know if this stuff is available in the UK D notes that you know you're in the UK so like maybe this stuff is available maybe it's not just use dirt just use dirt just get dirt from like Home Depot or whatever the UK equivalent is you're fine Compost is helpful, though. But yeah, it, it'll talk you through everything. And it'll also, I love how they have sample garden planning and show you like the different things that you could grow in combination that would go good together, which is something I had like definitely never thought consciously about, but is actually super helpful when you're trying to grow things that you're actually going to want to eat. Because man, growing something that then you're like, I don't actually want to eat that is a real bummer. <laughs> so yeah, that is the all new Square Foot Gardening by Mel Barth. Bartholomew and the Square Foot Gardening Foundation. Go forth. Let us know how it goes. <laughs> so I picked uh, Apartment Gardening, Plants, Projects, and Recipes for Growing Food in Your Urban Home by Amy Pennington and Kate Bingaman Burt. This is a book from uh, an author that lives in Seattle. So I picked it because 
that is a pretty similar climate to where you are probably in the UK. So a lot of the advice that she has will be, you know, kind of easily transferable to your living situation. All that is required uh, to follow the instructions or the advice here is two windows in your space. So as long as you've got two windows with like sills that you can put stuff in, it, then you will be able to grow various and sundry items. It's very, very like uber beginner. Here's where you find a plant pot, you know, kind of stuff. <laughs> um, and it does start with the easy to recognize grocery store items that a lot of people who don't have a ton of space or any space to do outdoor gardening will want to start with. So like you mentioned with re-sprouting green onions, which you can do by just sticking in a mason jar of water and putting them in your windowsill, um, or growing an herb garden, things like that. Uh, she does have some suggestions for like if you've got a deck, but if you don't, you don't need to follow those. Um, and there are also suggestions for if you have like a strip in between your houses, like any taking advantage of any little piece of available, uh, growable space. Uh, and if you can't use those things, then just like Jen said, using pots. But it does start super easy with like all the stuff you're going to be able to find in the grocery store. You should not really have to go to like any kind of specialty home and garden center to start with most of these things. Um, and then it does advance from there. So there are some lesser known vegetables or fruits or things that you can grow a little bit more kind of uh, 102 level apartment gardening. But the assumption that this book has is that one, you don't know what you're doing. And two, you don't have anywhere to do it. And then that's <laughs> that's where it builds from, which is super helpful. So that's Apartment Gardening by Amy Pennington and Kate Bingham and Burt. All right. Question three is from Kim, who says, I really enjoy urban fantasy books, but I realize I'm always the most interested in a lot of the mundane parts. I like to see werewolves at the bank or witches buying their ingredients at Walmart. Something maybe along the lines of what we do in the shadows would be great. Um, I also really like the vibes of the Beetlejuice waiting room scene or the movie Risk Cutters where the characters have crappy jobs in the afterlife. There can definitely be action, but I would really love a big focus to be on the character's day-to-day -day life. All right, Jen, what you got? All right. I picked, it's more science fiction. I mean, it is science fiction. It's not more <laughs> science fiction than fantasy. It is science fiction, but it's exactly what you're talking about. It's A Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers. This is the first in a new novella series, the Monk and Robot series from Chambers, which I am a big fan of. Make sure you have tea in the house, by the way, when you start this book, you're going to mm. want some. So it is about a tea monk which is just a cool job. Like, I would like to have that job, please and thank you. In this future where there is, you know, humanity has, like, reached a peak of crisis and come back from it and have figured out how to live sustainably, they've also, like, carved out huge areas of their planet where they do not go. And sentient AI has also happened. So, like, all of the robots live in the areas where the humans don't go, and humans don't really interact with the wild robots. And our main character, the tea monk, is sort of facing some, like, career burnout, for lack of a better word, like trying to figure mm. out like what they want to do with themselves. Like they switch jobs a couple of times. They're still not satisfied. They're like, maybe I need to go like out into the world and have an adventure, which they do. But it's so much about like, yeah, moving through your day to day. But all of the context of that day to day is science fictional, which is exactly what you're talking about. I too love that. It's a really cool like, oh, yeah, how would I do that? If I lived in this scenario or if these things were possible, like, what would that be like? It's pretty it's pretty awesome. So this is a very it's less like it's not really funny. Like a lot of the things you referenced are very, very funny. 
This is not a funny book, but it is extremely heartwarming and very, like, yes, quietly day to day. And I think you'll really love it. I'm really excited for the next installment in this series to happen. Uh, So, again, that's A Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers. All right. I picked The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune, which has the most possible mundane premise, (laughs) which is a dude who works for, like, a small government bureaucracy. Um, So Linus is the main character. He is 40. He lives in a house by himself with a cat and a grumpy neighbor. Um, The universe in which he lives is magical, and he is not. uh, He's a very, like, normal dude. His job is as a caseworker at the department in charge of magical youth. So it's his job to oversee the, like, life, essentially, of children who are in foster care in this kind of universe or government-sanctioned care homes, like orphanages, functionally. The rub here is that all of these children are magical. So they, once a kid comes, like, is revealed to be magical in some way, they're usually placed in some sort of care home or care facility for their own safety, quote-unquote, and then he works for what is functionally magical social services to oversee Mm. their, their care. Uh, He gets summoned by his bosses, like the management, um, and is given a job that's kind of weird to travel to an island orphanage um, where a man named Arthur is the caretaker and he is in charge of a series of pretty dangerous children. There's a Ware Pomeranian, which is my favorite character of any book ever in the history of the (laughs) world. Also a Sprite, there's a Wyvern, and the Antichrist, like the actual Antichrist lives in this orphanage. And he's not given a lot of details about what he's supposed to do when he gets there, except like watch and report back. And that's kind of it. And so he gets there and he's he's a very by the book kind of dude, you know, goes goes and like sets up shop and is paying attention to what's going on. He realizes pretty quickly that there's something weird about this situation. Both his assignment and Arthur, the dude that he is like essentially supposed to be spying on. Um, there's some romance, many, many kissings. But a lot of it is just like <laughs> bureaucratic stuff like i'm filling out this report or i'm going to talk to my boss or like i'm eating dinner next to the Ware pomeranian and oops he transformed into his dog form and like now i need to clean up this chicken he spilled you know it's like very especially if you have any experience with children like living or working with children that just kind of day-to-day cleaning up messes dealing with tantrums wiping noses the nose just might be attached to the antichrist kind of a thing so it's very mundane but like very sweet and heartwarming so that's the house in the cerulean sea by tj clue all right our next question is from amy who says i recently read the haunting of maddie claire and i loved the romance mixed in with a ghost story i'm looking for another horror slash supernatural mixed in with a romance my two favorite genres but please no books where the characters get it on with ghosts amy i have to tell you that you said that and then all i could think of were books where <laughs> yeah the characters get it on with I know. ghosts <laughs> so i had to get some help uh so yeah so i had to i went to the contributors for some help and we came up with the widow of rose house by diana biller which i think looks perfect side note and has like rave reviews from a lot of people including smart bitches trashy books who know from romance It's set in Gilded Age, New York, uh, late 1800s. The main character, Alva Webster. Oh, content warning, domestic abuse. 
Okay. So, yes, the main character, Alva, is just, like, barely starting to reenter her home in society. She left an abusive marriage, and her husband has since died. And so she's like, okay, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to reenter society. Hopefully they'll, like, take me back because it was very scandalous that I fled, even though, like, obviously she is not in the wrong here. Uh, but it turns out that this dilapidated Hyde Park mansion that she's staying in is haunted. Whoops. And so she has to bring in the Professor Samuel Mower, who is convention flouting and scandalous, just what she doesn't need. Also catching some feelings here. They do some ghost hunting. Also many kissings. Like, here you go. Here you go. I think you're going to enjoy it. It looks really perfect for what you're looking for. It's on my library holds list now. And again, that's The Widow of Rose House by Diana Biller. All right, I picked Empire of Wild by Cherie Dimeline, which was blurbed to me or described to me as a really screwed up adult Little Red Riding Hood if <laughs> Little Red Riding Hood and the wolf were married. And that is wow. basically what it is. So the main character's name is Joan. Her husband, Victor, has been missing for almost a year. They had a big argument. Um, she inherited some tribal land from, I think, her grand father that they've been living on and he wants to sell it and like move or whatever but she's against it etc just one of those like marital arguments right and so he stormed out in the middle of the argument and then never came home and he's been gone for months and months and months and so she has been searching for him really desperately not turning anything up she's starting to you know her friends and family are starting to be like this is he's not coming back like you've been left you know like let's it's time to start moving on um but then she ends up in a Walmart parking lot through a series of events one morning. Uh, and there's a revival happening in the Walmart parking lot, like an old school kind of tent revival. And she wanders in because she's been hearing about these tent revivals that are targeting Métis people, like her specific indigenous community. So she goes in to kind of see what all the fuss is about. And the preacher, whose name is Eugene Wolf, is there trying to convert uh, Métis people to Christianity, except... Eugene Wolf is her husband. And so of course she goes she approaches him and is like what the hell? Like you've been this you've been gone for a year, you're not pretending to be some preacher, like what's wrong with you? And he legitimately has no idea who she is. Like he she's cut she he has cut his hair, you know, he's wearing a suit, he's doing this whole preacher thing and he does not remember her at all. Um okay, he's also a werewolf. <laughs> so like that's the thing that's going on here is that when he left her uh, in the middle of their of their fight, he got taken by a Rogaru, which in traditional Matisse stories is a werewolf-like figure. And so she figures this out, that this is why he was gone, this is why he doesn't remember her. And then she teams up with her 12-year-old nephew, whose name is Zeus, he's obsessed with Johnny Cash, he's amazing, and Ajin, who is an elder, uh, who is like a euchre shark, she's also amazing. These are just very... Um, that quirky is not the right word, but like memorable side characters mm. who team up with Joan to help her get her husband back and save him from his fate of becoming and remaining a werewolf forever. So there is a romance, but it's not like a the book is not a romance. It's like not classified as a romance uh, at all. But it is, I think, a kind of a romance novel because it is a book about this relationship and the things they have to overcome to come back together just because they're not strangers when they meet doesn't mean the book the book is not a romance do you know what i mean like just because they're already married doesn't mm. mean that they're they don't have struggles and have to find each other again especially because like the whole thing is a metaphor for like the patriarchal issues that Miti women have to deal with and have always had to deal with so like there's a lot going on here it's really complex but also really easy to read very engrossing so that's empire of wild by sheree dimeline and it is time for our next sponsor <laughs> 
Today's episode is brought to you by Disney Books. Do y'all like Caribbean mythology? What's more, a thriller inspired by Caribbean mythology? If you do, I got something for you. A must-read thriller that draws from the darkest corners of Caribbean mythology from acclaimed author Sarah Das, who crafts a chilling tale of magic, murder, and how far we'll go to protect what's ours. It's perfect for fans of Angeline Bully and Tiffany D. Jackson. So unlike other people on the small island of St. Virgil, Selena Da Silva does not believe in magic. She has a logical mind. She likes botany. She wants to study pharmacology. But then her mother gets sick and she's tethered to the island and she has to make money. So what does she do? She cons a couple gullible tourists with these useless talismans and phony protection rituals but then one of the tourists ends up dead and at the center of a strange string of murders and the truth selena has been denying can no longer be avoided there is evil lurking in the forest that surrounds saint virgil now to find out what that evil is make sure to pick up it waits in the forest by sarah das and thanks again to disney books for sponsoring this episode Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Irena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. And now it is time for me to talk again. <laughs> so question five is from Becky, who says, I read a big variety of books, but I find myself getting into a rut sometimes when I keep reading the next book in a series. Can you recommend a book for me that is a standalone that has never been recommended on the show before? This was wrong. Gauntlet Throne. I know. Jen, you go. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you asked. I have been keeping a book in my pocket for specifically this kind of situation. Ooh. It is The li Memory Librarian. By Janelle Monet, Johanka Delgado, Eve L. Ewing, Alaya Don Johnson, Danny Lore, and Cherie Renee Thomas. Yes, the Janelle Monet. <laughs> it is I just short of it's a linked short story collection. And it does technically take place in the world of Dirty Computer, which is an album you might recall. It's kind of a big deal. Mm. But you don't have to have seen that or know anything about Monet's music to appreciate this. I don't think it stands perfectly alone. Although, obviously, you should go watch Dirty Computer. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm just saying 100%. to you. Watch the visual and the album. It's amazing. Um, but, yeah, this is sci-fi. It is really interesting. It's a really interesting collection because each story does feel of a piece, but they go in really interesting directions. Um, I will give some content warnings now before I start talking about any specifics for transphobia, unjust incarceration, racism, 
racism and homophobia. There's one story that opens that I think was my favorite, no shade to the others, but this one was just so powerful, um, about a woman who is a memory librarian uh, and who, like, what that means is that she's constantly surveilling the memories of the populace when you like you go to these like ATMs basically and upload your memories and you get money. Why who wouldn't want that? And they use this to surveil. Like it's it's pretty sinister. Mm. And she like entered the system to try to do good from the inside. And she has this chance encounter with another woman who she starts falling for and like who brings her into this underground situation and she starts to have to question whether or not it's even possible to do the good that she thought she was doing in these circumstances. And, you know, some of the other stories also, I mean, they're all really powerful. There's one, oh man, there's one about uh, a couple who move into an apartment and they figure out that time moves differently in a closet Mm. in the apartment. And like, what do you do with that? Like, it's a fascinating thought experiment. And there's so much of that in here. So I felt like this was, I mean, you said whatever, just as long as it hadn't been recommended. But I think this is the kind of thing where each story you're going to want to sit there and be like, oh, yeah, like, let me think about that. There's a lot to chew on. The characters are great. The writing is great. It's a really amazing collection. And I so appreciate all of the authors who are involved in this. So again, that is The Memory Librarian and Other Stories of Dirty Computer. This was so, this took me forever. (laughs) I had to go back through our old spreadsheets. Every time I thought of a book, I was like, I'm pretty sure I've not talked about this. Inevitably, I talked about it once in like 2017 (laughs) and then have just forgotten. So this took me forever. But I found one that I really like. It's Waiting for Tomorrow by Natasha Apana, and it's translated by Jeffrey Strachan. And this is a French novel. The author is Mauritian in French, and it's about a woman named Anita who, when the book opens, is waiting for her husband, Adam, to be released from prison. So you know that, like, as you're going in, that some stuff has happened. Um, And then you go back in time to when they first met, which was uh, at a New Year's Eve party in Paris. They fall in love. They both feel like outsiders. Quite literally, Anita is an immigrant from Mauritius, and Adam is in Paris from, like, the outskirts of, you know, like, the rural areas of France. So they, they feel ostracized, and that brings them together. They fall in love. They get married. They move to a village in southwestern France, and they have a baby named Laura. Adam abandons his dream of being a painter to become an architect to help support his family. Anita does the same thing. She wants to be a novelist. She kind of abandons that to get a freelance job for a local paper while she's also partially kind of staying home with their baby. Um, And all of this kind of, you know, of everyday life starts to really wear on them, especially Anita. She starts to feel really stressed, like she's pulling more than her own than like the fair amount of weight so they hire Adele who is an undocumented Mauritian immigrant to be a nanny for Laura and then everything starts falling apart after that they both become a little obsessed with Adele for like different reasons they both find themselves sparked creatively by her for different reasons and so they both simultaneously want to go back to like well I want to quit being an architect and paint well I want to quit working this freelance job And write a novel. And then, like, who wins? Like, who gets, whose, you know, artistic life gets supremacy here is kind of a a big conflict. And then there's, like, I mean, it falls apart to the point that you get back to the beginning where Adam's in jail, right? And Anita's waiting for him to get out. And I don't want to tell you what, what lands him in jail because it's kind of a spoiler. But it's such a, it's super short. It's not even, like, 200 pages. But it is such a fascinating examination of unequal 
labor and unequal respect for artistic endeavors in heterosexual long-term relationships. And this is a thing that, like, since COVID, people have been talking about, I think, more and more as we all ended up at home and then women had to leave the workforce at such greater rates than men to care for their kids. But this was written in 2015. Like, it was translated in English Mm. in 2018, but this was written way before that and is very much talking about that exact thing in French life, especially with that added intersection of being an immigrant. Adam is white and Anita is not, and that adds a whole other layer uh, to what they're dealing with. So that's Waiting for Tomorrow by Natasha Apana. Quick side note. The reason I haven't talked about the librarian, memory librarian before is in part because I've, I thought it was out this month. It's actually not out until April 19th. So, like, you know, put in your pre-order now. Mm. I'm not going to take it back. I think it will work for <laughs> I'm you. not going to take you it back. Wait, I, you can wait. It's like three weeks away. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our next question is from Laura. Who says, I'm always on the lookout for more of my favorite thing, sassy ladies kicking ass and having romantical adventures in oldie times. <laughs> my, my platonic ideal for this is Veronica Speedwell, but see also Lady Sherlock, Y.S. Lee's A Spy in the House, and Pride and Premeditation. Shout out to Terza. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love a historical setting that takes me out of my own day-to-day and a character having agency over her career and romantic decisions. Bonus points for a series. I always want to spend as much time as possible with characters I love. Super bonus points for a setting that's not Victorian England and or a main character that's not a cis hetero white lady. Amanda. Hmm. Hello. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I love this kind of book. This like subgenre of kind of what's the what's the anachronistic when somebody's like out of time, Mm, like anachronistically mm. feminist women in like the Victorian era is just catnip to me. I love it so much. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And I picked a romance series for you. It's the the Girl Meets Duke series. It's by Tessa Dare. The first book is called The Duchess Deal. And the, I mean, the books that you listed are not explicitly romances, and this one is, but I think it's it's really going to work because this is a series of romance novels where every book has a woman who, like, works. Except for, I think, one, who is a woman living in gentle poverty, like a noble woman living in gentle poverty. But in the first book, The Duchess Deal, the heroine is a seamstress. Uh, In the next one, the heroine is a Filipina governess. And they all encounter wealthy dudes uh, who they have to, you know, have to like, whatever. It's a romance novel. So like overcome obstacles, tussle with intellectually and not intellectually. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Um, (laughs) But also these women are like kicking their own butts because they have to make their own livings. This In the same way that like Lady Sherlock is has her own money but until she doesn't right until she gets ruined on purpose and then has to go out and work the heroine in ys lee's stories works the heroine in pride and premeditation is trying to work like these are all women who are trying to make their own way and the same is true for every book in this series by tessa dare so i don't know if you want to like a summary of the first one but in the first one a seamstress who was a vicar's daughter and is now working for reasons that that you get into her name is emma she appears in the lobby of the home of a duke the duke of ashbury in a wedding dress she's never met this man and he's like what's happening (laughs) and you find out very quickly that he was engaged his wedding was canceled because he came back from the Napoleonic Wars really physically wounded and his fiancée broke the wedding off because she thought he was ugly. And this seamstress, Emma, made the dress for the wedding. And since the wedding was canceled and the bride was a horrifying hell beast, she never got paid. But she can't afford that. Like, she can't afford to have done all this work for a duke's wedding to not get paid. So she shows up in the dress and is like, F you, pay me. <laughs> like, I am here. <laughs> and if you don't pay me, I'm just going to sit here in this wedding dress. And what are you going to do about it? Nothing. 
nothing. And he's like, you're right. You're right. I'm not going to do anything about it. Uh, but I like you and I need a wife and you're in a wedding dress. This is convenient. And so he makes this deal with her that, you know, we'll get married. I need an heir. We'll do the things required to like make an heir and you can be a duchess for the rest of your life. But like once we get a child, we don't have to talk anymore. Like this is the thing that we need. This is the deal that we're making. And she's like, mm, I don't know about that. Anyway, they, it's hilarious. Everybody is sassy. The Duke included. There's a lot of sass. There's a lot of adventure. Um, there's a lot of wit and, you know, banter. It's great. So that's the Girl Meets Duke series by Tessa Dare. All right. I I just want to recommend you Jeannie Lynn, the yeah. amazing Jeannie Lynn, who has written a ton of historical romances. And I could pick, I mean, really pick one, pick mm. it up, read it. Um, I will say that okay, a couple things. So, for example, the Tang Dynasty series, which I do love, is very much about what it meant to be a woman during the Tang Dynasty uh, in China. And the strictures and, you know, like societal pressures around that and like how you how these women navigate that. It is not sassy. Mm. I don't think it is much more about like, I am going to find a way to do the thing, even though it is very hard and I will like wriggle my way into it, (laughs) you know, through these strictures. Like I'm going to I'm going to make it work and also love and kissing and swords. Let's be honest, like the the important (laughs) things. And then you have like the Ping Kang Lee mysteries, which are, you know, historical suspense, um, romantic suspense, and are all about solving, solving crimes. And some of those heroines are working class. And those are also very much about like, yeah, what does it mean? Oh, excuse me, the Lotus Palace mysteries is what those are called. Um, regardless, it's it's very much about like, yeah, how do I navigate this world and like retain agency and a sense of self and also maybe fall in love like how am I going to do those things and I just love these books because they are so immersive and like you know I don't think especially a lot of us Americans learned that much Chinese history and so to get to be in that world and like experience what that is like for those characters is so cool and I just love her characters I love the romances like all of it read them just read them just pick up some Jeannie Lin like you'll be fine uh so yes enjoy any of them I don't care which one All right. Our last question is from Jess. This is my favorite question. I love this so much. Um, Jess says, I'm looking for a book recommendation for my dad. He doesn't read frequently, but when he does, he usually rereads his favorite book, Don't Stop the Carnival by Herman Wauk. It's about a man who retires from his hectic job in New York to run a hotel on a remote Caribbean island and naturally chaos ensues. I think this book speaks to my dad's aesthetic in general. He's basically Jimmy Buffett. (laughs) I'd love for him to find other novels that he loves that have a similar theme or setting. He recently got divorced, so I'm looking for something that's not romance heavy. He also reads James Patterson and John Grissom, so crime thrillers are up his alley. All right. I I just, I sat here thinking about like, what would I recommend to Jimmy Buffett for like a really long time? It's so great. And I went with A Caribbean Mystery by Agatha Christie for a couple of reasons. First of all, obviously it's set in the Caribbean. So the setting will appeal to your father. Secondly, if your dad doesn't read a lot, Agatha Christie is the be- the most be- like the most book-selling author of all time. She has sold more books than any other person has sold books. So she appeals universally to most readers. So I think that and like they're short, you know, um, it's not going to be something he's going to have to slog through. And you said he liked crime. Obviously, this is crime. So this is a, a Miss Marple mystery. Uh, Miss Marple is an elderly woman who lives in the UK. She knits. 
She gets her nose in other people's business and she solves murders. Like, this is what she does with her time. She's amazing. But her nephew, Raymond, um, has decided that she's like, working too hard, you know, solving the mysteries. And so he wants to send her to a vacation at a resort in St. Honoré in the Caribbean. And she's like, okay, I will just go knit there. That sounds fine. I don't care where I'm sitting when I'm knitting as long as I'm sitting and knitting. So she goes to the Caribbean and interacts with some of the other guests, you know, in that very Agatha Christie setup where like you meet all the guests to kind of figure out who's going to die and who's doing the killing. And then she meets a colonel who turns out to be very obnoxious. He He's just a windbag. Like he tells... All of these stories about his time in the war, which war, who knows, it doesn't matter, just all of them. And he's kind of a like a blowhard, it's very self-congratulatory, and she's knitting and listening to him and being polite. And then he talks about how last time he was at this resort, he's pretty sure he witnessed a murder, like pretty sure. But he's also said a lot of other stuff that's unbelievable and kind of goofy, so she's only halfway listening to him. But while he's in the middle of the story, he gets a really weird look on his face, like he sees something, and then he starts talking about like... That's the murderer. That's the murderer. And then he like runs off to his cabin before Miss Marple can figure out what in the heck he's talking about. And the next day he turns up dead along with one of the members of the hotel staff. And so Miss Marple is off to like solve this crime. You know, it's pretty, it's, it's, I think dismissed. I don't remember what I read it, but I think the, the local police immediately decided that it was like a robbery or something, but Miss Marple knows better. And so she goes off to solve this crime. The thing that I love about it is that she solves this murder mostly from the beach, like sitting on the beach, eavesdropping on people because she's an elderly <laughs> woman and people don't consider elderly women to be humans. So like they just blab around her thinking there is no consequence that is going to be had because that's just an old woman who cares. But of course she, from her center of the beach is in the middle of all the action and can pull strings like a spider in a web and eventually solves it because of course she does without even having to get up she sits she knits she solves murders i love her so that's <laughs> a caribbean mystery by agatha christie <laughs> so many show titles today <laughs> i did not go the caribbean route i was thinking about like an older character some criminess you know uh retired like off doing things and so i'm going with a get book chestnut the talented ribkins by lady hubbard because main character is 72 and he like just he's just over everything for the most part except for that he kind of sort of works for a mob boss and he kind of sort of stole some money whoops and now he has a week to come up with the money and good lucky for him he has these like bolt holes all around the south where he has buried some valuables so he's like okay i'm gonna go dig up my bolt holes and um, then i'll pay the mob guy back and i can go back to just being like an old kind of gray you know uh income person but the first stop is at his uh, deceased brother's house where he finds out that he has this niece he didn't know he had. And the mother is like, you need to take her because this family, this African-American family, has like powers that manifest in very specific ways. Like Johnny can draw a map to anything, whether or not he's been there. And that comes in very useful cri for crime, as you might expect, along with other more legit enterprises. And so his niece is manifesting powers. His mother's like, I don't know what to do about this and you need to step up. He's like, well, I kind of have to go dig up some holes. And so she, the niece comes along with him on this road trip where they are being followed by mob boss flunkies and you know there's a lot of things going on it is so fun there's some great like american civil rights history baked into it i love the relationship between 
Johnny and his niece. And like, it's just it's a delightful read that also has like some heft to it in all of the ways that you want. And I think I think like anybody of that age would get a big kick out of it and really enjoy. And it's like, yeah, it's got the crimey stuff. It's fun. Just doesn't have the Caribbean vibe. But, you know, can't have everything in this world. (laughs) So that's The Talented Ribkins by Lady Hubbard. And that's our show. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much to our audio editor, first and foremost, Jen Zink, for cleaning up all our sneezes and flubs and whatnot. And Thank F-bombs. You. And <laughs> F-bombs. Occasional F-bombs that Whoopsie. we are not allowed to keep into the show. Whoops. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Um, if you would like more book recommendations, you can have those. Go to bookriot.com. You can also find our other podcasts. We have a lot of them at bookriot.com slash listen. If you would be so kind as to leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, wherever. Uh, it does help other folks to find this show. And thanks go out to our sponsors for making the show possible. In between shows, you can find us on social media. Where is Amanda? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.